Good morning, church family. In the year of 1900, the city of Beaumont, Texas, had a population of 10,000 people. Most people spent their days working in rice paddies or logging mills, just trying to scrape together enough money to live on. But in the year 1901, everything changed. A man named Anthony, Anthony Lucas had been drilling for natural gas for several months. But then on January 10th, something happened that changed everything. They didn't strike natural gas. They struck oil. In fact, they struck so much oil that for nine days, oil shot 150 feet straight up in the air at a rate of 4.2 million gallons per day. Does anybody know what it was called? Spindletop, you took Texas history, didn't you? All right, Spindletop was the largest gusher that the world had ever seen. It turned Beaumont into a boom town, and it kicked off a new era of oil exploration. But what really strikes me is what life was like before January 10th, 1901. The people of Beaumont were just working all day in the rice paddies, trying to survive with no idea that there were untold riches hidden beneath their feet, just waiting to be tapped into. In many ways, this is a picture of the Christian life. God has given us the amazing gift of prayer, through which we can access untold spiritual riches beyond our wildest imagination. But much of the time, we go about our everyday lives without ever drilling a well, without accessing these amazing riches that God has made possible. So here's the reason that we're doing this Hidden Riches series. Our staff and church council has spent a lot of time over the last year thinking and praying about where God is leading us as a church. And one of the big things we felt is God calling our church deeper in the area of prayer. So we spent a lot of time brainstorming what would that look like. And you've seen a lot of these things beginning to unfold already the prayer guides that have been put out by our pastoral transition team, our monthly Pray First events like the prayer walk coming up this Wednesday, our grow group prayer nights that all of our grow groups are going to be doing over the next month, this sermon series. And now there's a new one that we want to unveil to you today that we want to try during this sermon series. We're calling it 1501 Prayer. That's our address, 1501 East Beltline Road. And so starting today... Every day at 15.01, that's 3.01 p.m., we want to ask everyone here to stop and to spend at least five minutes praying for VRBC. Pray that we would follow Jesus together and that God would use us to shine a light in our community and our world. Okay? All right. Thanks. So throughout this series, we're going to be looking at four different passages of Scripture that will help us to grow in our understanding of and practice of prayer. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 139. And we'll get to Psalm 31, so Psalm 139, in just a minute. But first I want to give you an image that's going to carry us throughout the entire sermon. I think we put off prayer for some of the same reasons that we put off going to the doctor. It might be uncomfortable. I'm scared they might say that there's something wrong with me. And for me, honestly, the biggest hang-up is modesty. They have you change into those robes that never seem to tie in the right places. And your doctor sees everything, and they ask really personal questions. 
And you can't just put on a smile and pretend that everything is fine. I had a conversation with my friend Brent Lacey a few months ago. Brent's a doctor, a gastroenterologist. And Brent took over his dad Steve's practice when he retired recently. So knowing that they had some patients from VRBC, I asked Brent if that was weird, especially in that line of work, to see people who were his own friends, his youth leaders growing up here at VRBC, his parents' friends. And you know what he said? He said, not at all. I see hundreds of patients every day, and they all have the same parts. <laughs> it would be silly for us to try to hide from our doctors, right? They've seen all the parts thousands of times. There's nothing to hide. And their main purpose is to help us to be healthy and to thrive. Think about that for a minute. If your doctor sees something unhealthy, they're not going to think less of you. They're going to help you get better. Because a good doctor truly cares. That's why they entered this profession in the first place. Now, if we're honest, I think many of us have this same hang-up about prayer. Often when we come to God, we feel like we need to put our best foot forward. We might worry about projecting the right image or using the right words or praying the right type of prayer. But trying to impress God is like trying to impress your doctor. There's no point. There's no fooling them. They see us exactly as we are. So why do we hide? Is that shame? Is it fear? Is it pride? See, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the right, not the righteous, but sinners. God doesn't want us to pretend that we're perfect. God doesn't want us to put on a show. Instead of trying to put on a good impression, all God asks is that we come just as we are, because that is exactly what God can work with. See, God can do this beautiful work of healing and restoration in our lives if we're willing to open ourselves up fully to God. I was recently reading in The Message, and Matthew 6, 6 caught my attention. It describes the kind of authentic prayer that we're going to see in Psalm 139. It says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Isn't that beautiful? When we don't know how to pray, authentic prayer is the way to begin. As this verse suggests, find some place where you can have a private conversation. Maybe it's your back patio or your kitchen table with a good cup of coffee or in your favorite comfy chair. You lay aside your hurry, your to-do list, and your worries this is your time for conversation with a God who loves you more than you can possibly fathom. And instead of trying to be something that you're not, just be honest. Be the real you. As we stop focusing so much on ourselves and we shift our focus to God, we'll begin to experience God's love and grace. In fact, I've been reading a great book about prayer in fact, John's been reading it, and my friend Deirdre's been reading it, and Carolyn's been reading it, and we'd love to recommend it to you. You can scan this QR code, or sorry, the QR code on your connection card form in front of you, 
uh, if you want to find it on Amazon. So it's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, um, An Invitation to the Wonder and Mystery of Prayer. It's by Tyler Statton. And I wanted to share with you a quote from the book. Tyler says, Prayer in any form by anybody is God's invitation to pull up a chair to the table and enjoy restful, intimate, unbroken conversation with the triune God. Have you thought about prayer that way? I mean, what a privilege that is. One of my great childhood memories is spending the night at my grandma's house in Baton Rouge. And I would always wake up first. I would run into her room, Grandma, Grandma, wake up, the sun's up. And I'm sure after a few silent groans, she would take me into her kitchen. We would sit down together at her kitchen table. I would just drink in the smells of her coffee. And we would sit and have conversation about anything and everything. We just enjoyed this time together. That is what God invites us to do. In Psalm 139, we get an inside look into David's intimate, authentic conversation with God. And as we look, we're going to discover three simple but bold phrases that we can use in our own authentic prayers. So if you're taking notes, the first one is, know me. Know me. From the very first line of the psalm, we might think David is having an intimate conversation at the doctor's office. He's wearing the awkward robe. He's sitting on the examining table. Listen as I read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now the word know or knowledge appears four times in this section. In fact, the message paraphrases verse 2 as saying, I'm an open book to you. David's acknowledging that there's nothing hidden from God. Just as if David were sitting on the examining table, God were the doctor, and David was saying, Doc, you know all my parts. <laughs> you know my medical history. You know my family history. You know I drink too much coffee and I struggle to work out every day. You've got all the background you need right there in my chart. See, when we're intimately connected with God, when we desire God's transforming work in our lives, this intimate knowledge is wonderful news. But what if we would rather keep things private from God? David says that's just not possible. God knows our thoughts, our words, our actions, even before we do, even before they happen. So if we think we can keep things hidden from God, maybe this comes as less welcome news. It reminds me of a character from a John Grisham novel, The Firm. Have any of you read it or seen the movie with Tom Cruise? All right, it's about this young hotshot lawyer named Mitch McDear who gets a job for this swanky but secretive law firm. And they wine and dine McDear and his wife. They buy him a new house, a nice car. They shower them with expensive gifts. But soon McDear begins to suspect that this law firm has this sinister dark side. Many young lawyers have been killed. The mob is involved, and soon Mitch knows too much. Eventually, 
he learns that his entire home is bugged with hidden microphones, tracking his every move and conversation. And when he whispers this to his wife, Abby, in their home, she becomes momentarily unglued and flees the house running as fast as she can. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Well, whether we like it or not, we are an open book to God. God knows us better than we know ourselves, every thought, every deed, every word. But God's not out to trap us or to harm us. Like a good doctor, God desires to heal us and to help us. So from David, we learn to welcome this intimate connection with God. There's no point in hiding anything. God loves us. As one person put it, the person who has nothing to hide has nothing to fear. So we can use David's bold prayer, know me, as a way to come to God with our honest, real selves. There's a communion prayer that churches around the world use every Sunday, which says, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, we come to you. David says to God, bring it on. Check out the verbs we see in this passage, and maybe you want to underline these on your scripture sheet. Verse 1, search me, know me. Verse 2, perceive or the RSV version says, search out. It's based on this term for winnowing, where they would blow puffs of air to sort out the chaff from the uh, grains. Um, verse 3, discern. Verse 4 talks about knowing our minds more closely than we know them ourselves. Verse 5 talks about God surrounding us or even handling us. There's no escaping the fact that God knows us intimately. As I learn to welcome that fact, as I invite God to know me, I'll find that here's a God who loves me despite all of my flaws. Here's a God from whom I have nothing to hide. Here's a God who accepts me just as I am, even while calling me and shaping me to be all that God intends me to be. God sees us. God gets us. God loves us. So in the first bold line of our authentic prayer, we can lay ourselves out on the examining table and say to our loving God, know me. David explores the fact that God already knows him intimately. And then the second thing he discovers is that God is always with him. Just like God knowing us, this can be good news or bad news depending on the approach that you take. On the one hand, we can cling to the promise that God never leaves us or forsakes us. On the other hand, we realize that we can't ever escape God's presence, even if we wanted to. So we learn from David to welcome God's constant presence in our lives. So as we'll see in a few moments, this section of the prayer can be best summed up by the words, keep me, keep me. In David's next section of the psalm, we see that he's not expressing a desire to escape. Instead, we see this joyful astonishment that escape is impossible. God's always there to guide him and to hold him. As we read verses 7 to 12, listen for how David describes this impossibility of escape. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths... You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So David mentions three possible escape routes. Did you catch those? In verse 8, there's a vertical route. Whether he goes up to the heavens or down to the depths, God is there. In verse 9, there's a horizontal route. Because of Israel's location next to the Mediterranean Sea, the sea was a natural synonym for the west. So if he goes all the way eastward to the sunrise or as far west as possible, the sea, God is still there. And in verse 11, even if he were to run into the darkest, vilest places, God's light shines even there. We know that individuals throughout Scripture have tried unsuccessfully to flee from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they thought that they could hide from God, but they found that God was still there. When God called Jonah to go preach to his enemies in Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to, he tried to run away to Joppa. And guess what? God was still there. When the Apostle Paul was trying to persecute Christians who followed this radical troublemaker named Jesus... God showed up in a big way while Paul was on the road to Damascus. God was still there. There's no escaping from God's presence. So as David learns to welcome God's presence, just as you would welcome a good doctor who's treating your sickness. As we see in verse 10, he rests in the security of knowing that God is always with him. No matter what he said or done, God will never leave him. This can be such a comforting promise. We can never do anything that will put us out of God's reach. When we pray, keep me, God is there with open arms, always ready to welcome us into a loving embrace and strong protection. Now, how many of you know the children's story, the runaway bunny? I'm going to read you a little bit of it. It begins like this. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. Well, if you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream, and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. See, the mom's fishing for the little bunny. And over and over again, the little bunny plots his escape. I won't read you the whole book. And over and over, the mother bunny says that she's going to do whatever is necessary to find him. So realizing his mother's persistence, the young bunny finally gives up and says, Oh, shucks, I might as well stay home and be your little bunny. And his mother replies, Here, have a carrot. <laughs> this is the same invitation that God extends to us. God invites us to enjoy God's love and protection. When we sin or make mistakes, we don't have to live like a child who wants to run away from her parents. Sometimes it's hard to see any other way forward, right? We think, we assume that we're going to get what we deserve, judgment and condemnation. When we forget or we choose to ignore that God has already provided for our redemption through Jesus' death on the cross. So instead of punishing ourselves or trying to remove ourselves from God's presence, which is impossible anyway, we simply ask our loving God for forgiveness. We ask God to keep us in holiness so that we won't stray back into sin. We place ourselves in the loving care of our great physician who desires nothing more than to see us healed 
and whole. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus' teaching challenged those who didn't want to give up their sinful ways, Jesus asked his disciples, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. To the God who loves us, to the God who forgives us, to the God who offers us eternal life, we can offer this simple prayer, keep me. Now, the final prayer that David prays is almost an echo of the first one. If David began by acknowledging that God knows him inside and out, David ends by asking the same thing of God. We can sum up this last part of the prayer with a simple phrase, show me. David wants to have God's insight. He wants to see through the lens of God's eyes who he is, who David is, and who God is. He wants to know God's thoughts and God's ways. So David's prayer sounds like an open invitation to God, show me. Listen to verses 13 through 18. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden for you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This first part of David's uh, show me prayer is essentially him saying, God, show me who I am. What's my identity as your beloved child? Now, it's obvious that our creator knows his beloved creation through and through. It's as if David's back on the, ex- on the examining table going over x-rays with his doctor. And what he sees is nothing short of miraculous. God created us by intricate design with no mistakes. As God shaped each of our unformed bodies, it was a unique design for a unique purpose. All our days are ordained for God, intended to be used by God for the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. The world has a lot to say about who we are or about who the world thinks we should be. But when we pray the show me prayer, we find our identity as God's wonderfully made children. And now David's focus shifts once again from himself back to God. Not only do we pray, God, show me who I am, David also prays, God, show me who you are. He wants to know God just as intimately. He says, how precious are your thoughts, God. Now, this word precious can mean something of great value. This word can also mean something weighty. We get the sense uh, that it's like precious gold. With the next line, he says, how vast the sum of them. So just like gold is dense and weighty, God's thoughts are the same way. The more we seek God's wisdom, the more we realize we have so much to learn. It's this lifelong process of growth in discerning God's ways. Now, the number of God's thoughts is so vast that even if we were trying to count the sands on the seashore, we would not be able to count God's thoughts. How wonderful it is that God thinks of us, of each one of us. Our great physician has a docket full of patients, and yet unlimited time 
and attention to patiently and lovingly care for each and every one. How valuable are we to God that God's thoughts about us would be so vast? The preacher Charles Spurgeon compares it to someone who had a chance encounter with a human king and how proud they would be just to be able to say that a king had looked at them. He tells the story of a man who used to go around bragging that uh, King George IV had once spoken to him. He only said, get out of the road, but it was a king who said it to him. And so he would go around telling everyone that he knew. But Spurgeon says, you and I, beloved, before whom kings are, uh, well, we can rejoice that God, before whom kings are as grasshoppers, actually thinks of us and thinks of us often. Isaiah 49, 7, prophesying about the nails that would pierce Jesus' hands on the cross for our sins, said, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Jesus' nail-scarred hands are a permanent display of how much God thinks of us. Now, if God has such vast thoughts, such loving thoughts about you, such weighty wisdom for your life, Don't you want to ask God to show you? When we pray, God, show me who you are, we are asking God to show us God's thoughts and God's ways. And then we wait for the answer. Do you ever have somebody ask you a question, and then without even waiting for your answer, they just keep on talking? I mean, how many times do we do this to God? This prayer for God to show me also implies a desire to wait for God to answer, for whatever God wants to reveal. Now, how absurd would it be if we went to the doctor, we sat through the whole examination, we asked the doctor about his findings, but then we just got up and left the room. We didn't wait for their answer. Or we just blabbered on about our own medical theories and didn't wait to hear what the doctor had to say. Now, that sounds pretty ridiculous, right? Because we came there seeking the doctor's medical expert advice. We want healing. When the same way authentic prayer is more than just you talking, it requires a good bit of listening too. Do our prayers look more like a monologue or a dialogue? I was talking with my daughter Sophia once about how important it is to listen to God. And she thought long and hard about it and then suggested... Sometimes God is really quiet. And I agree, don't you? It can be hard to quiet myself long enough to listen for that gentle whisper, for that persistent thought, the soft nudge of God's Spirit speaking to me. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I first pray, I'm bombarded with distractions and thoughts and worries, and reminders of everything that I have to get done that day. But waiting on God is worth it. The more time I spend in silence or in focused listening, the better I learn to hear God's voice. The author Madeline Langle, in her book Walking on Water, says, deepest communion with God is beyond words on the other side of silence. As we pray this show me prayer, we begin to learn the value of spending time in solitude with God. Now, God doesn't always tell us what we want to hear right when we want to hear it, right? That's your experience too, I'm sure. 
But as we sit with God at the kitchen table and we wait for all that God wants to share with us, we begin to learn these precious thoughts of God. Now in the final section of the psalm, David expresses his impatient desire for God to triumph over evil. But as he closes, we see that David is back on God's examining table once again. He realizes that his own plans and ways are not God's plans and ways. His authentic prayer ends the way it began in verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we're willing to pray this kind of authentic prayer, we can trust that God will know us, keep us, and show us his ways. There's a movie called Tree of Life. It's a film about a 1950s Texas family and their relationships, their growing pains, their common life struggles. And in one scene, 12-year-old Jack O'Brien kneels beside his bed as he prays. Now, his prayers begin with simple, safe, acceptable prayers. Help me not to sass my dad. Help me not to get God, dogs in fights. Help me to be thankful for everything I've got. Then he suddenly breaks away from these standard prayers, and in a moment of raw honesty, he whispers the deepest longings and desires of his heart. Are you watching me, God? I want to know what you are. I want to see what you see. That's the kind of authentic prayer that Psalm 139 gives us as a model. Are you watching me, God? Search me and know me from the inside out. Are you with me, God? Keep me safe in your loving arms and far away from sin. What do you see and think, God? Show me your thoughts and your ways. Lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful, and really our minds are blown, that we can talk intimately and honestly with the creator of the universe. Lord, we are so grateful that you think such vast thoughts about each and every one of us. Lord, help us to desire this kind of authentic prayer, this honest and real conversation with you, knowing that your desire, like a good doctor, is to heal us, to help us, to bring us life transformation. Lord, as we go about our week this week, would you turn our thoughts towards you? Would you constantly remind us of the opportunity that you are there waiting with open arms, ready to pull up a chair to the kitchen table and to talk with us? Lord, this week, would you find us faithful in prayer? Would you turn our minds and our thoughts and our hearts to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.